Hello and welcome to Babyface Dan Wells Storytime. Hi. I'm still not used to it. <laughs> it's going to take a while to yeah. get used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I, I missed the beard. The beard will return one day, but not for a while. Mm. So you have a story. I have a story. Yes. This is Dan Talks About His Famous Friends, part two. Mm. But before we get there... We've got some food heist updates. Right. We've that got we need to get oh, through. Updates. Updates. To previous food heists? Well, yes. Two episodes ago, I think it was, when we talked about the Red Bull that was yes. stolen. Uh-huh. 300 pallets of Red Bull. That they thought might have been like a hotel that took it. Yeah. Or some service industry or hospitality mm-hmm. industry. Uh, very minor update. Somebody in the YouTube comments very helpfully let me know that the average American trailer, I don't know Mm -hmm. about Belgian or French trailers, hold between 22 and 28 pallets, which means that this one did at least, what, 12? Trucks. 12 trucks. This was not a small heist. 12 trucks worth. That's got to be our largest heist so far by weight. In In, terms of sheer volume, volume, I think so. That we've talked about. Yeah. Man. So anyway, thank okay. you, YouTube commenter, mm. who if I was a better man, I would have paid attention to your name and thanked you in person. I thanked you on the YouTube comments. But speaking of weight, would you like to hear this week's food heist? I would. This one was sent to me by many, many, many eagle-eyed viewers. And so thank you, all of you. In the Netherlands, on March 29th, a woman named Gerda van Dorp woke up to find that 161 wheels of cheese had been stolen from her storage room. A lot easier to get wheels of cheese, you know. Because they roll yeah. themselves. You can roll cans of Red Bull as well, but... One at a time. It's one just at not going to do gonna 12 trucks worth. This is still 161 wheels of cheese. That's mm-hmm. 3,500 pounds of cheese and approximately $23,000, which frankly feels low to me for that much cheese. But some of the articles have talked about the cheese Mm -hmm. stealing industry in general. I can imagine because cheese per pound, it's got to be pretty valuable as food goes. It is. It is, to my knowledge, the most stolen food because it's so valuable. In fact, Mm -hmm. in the Netherlands, where Van Dorp lives, cheese wheels are stamped with a serial number. And they sometimes find those cheese wheels in Russia, where even before the war, there were strict economic sanctions and you could not legally sell Dutch cheese to Russia. But this stolen stuff shows up there all the time. So where is the the country? Where's the country? The country that isn't there a place... I could be completely off on this. This could be a fever dream where they roll a wheel of cheese down a hill and people chase it. Like on purpose? Yes. Ritualistically? Ritualistically, they roll a wheel of cheese down a hill and, and, and everyone chase chases the cheese. Because first of all, I'm, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that every European country, that happens by accident a couple of times a year, right? Adam, look up. Cooper's Hill Cheese Rolling and Wake in Gloucester, England. Gloucester. All there right. You go. So, uh, cheese Rolling and Wake. So it's like a funeral thing. They are. Uh, I've seen images and they go down the hill very quickly after this cheese in that like it's a mark of pride that they start tumbling and rolling like the cheese like the cheese and does. end up battered and bruised and broken at the yeah, bottom with and i believe spinal injuries the first person down the hill wins the cheese 
whether they catch it or not. Yeah, I believe. See, but... and that sounds delightfully quaint and silly to us, mm. but we got to remember we are the culture that has rodeos yes. and mutton busters and people chasing like oiled pigs around. That's my favorite thing at a rodeo is they get all the kids who want to participate, go out on the big thing, and they release a little piglet that is scared to death of the hundred screaming children trying to catch it. And I've never been to a rodeo. Oh, you are missing out. I don't think that I am. <laughs> uh, I live in the West, but I've never been never to a rodeo. Never been to a rodeo. No. My wife is from Cheyenne, Wyoming, yes. home of Frontier Days, the largest rodeo in the world. Mm-hmm. And my mother-in-law currently lives in central Utah, where mm. we try to, I mean, pre-pandemic, we attended the rodeo every 4th of July. So Doesn't feel like my thing. No. Um, you would not enjoy them in general, but... Mm-hmm. Watching a hundred screaming children chase a greased piglet is actually pretty fun. I think regardless of culture, it crosses all boundaries. Yes. Mixes that delightful intersection of animal cruelty and cruelty to children. Yes. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. if I can be cruel to two different groups at the same time, I will. Um. So <laughs> I kind of have a bad story idea, but not really. Not really? Well, here's the thing. Have you ever based a story off of a dream? No, but I have had dreams that I thought were pretty good until I woke up a little more. I had one of those that I think you guys will think is fun. (laughs) Okay. But I did want to talk a little bit about this because I believe Twilight was based off of a dream. Really? Double check me on that. Adam is nodding. He's heard that That's what I've heard. Okay. And one image from my first book was based off of a dream. First Mm. one that I wrote, not the first Mm -hmm. one I published. I had a dream about being in a desert and pushing the sand away at my feet and finding a person's face underneath. Oh. Just that one image. And that became white sand. That image ended up in white sand, at least. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's in the final version, but, you know. And so I've actually done that once. It's not like that was a whole story, but there was an image that was a striking image that I remember. Images from dreams can be very evocative Mm -hmm. because they just kind of well up from your subconscious. So So this time, what's this one? I was dreaming that it was one of these stories. We'll talk about this. My dreams are often stories uh, where... People jumped forward in time, kind of all of the time machine, the actual H.G. Wells one, and found how the people in the future were living and existing, right? And jumped forward in time, and obviously there had been some sort of apocalypse of some sort. People were living, you know, in a more tribal society and didn't have the technology and things. And the one thing I can remember from this dream that I woke up and thought, that is so cool, was that the people who traveled forward in time, who was me in the dream, took off his gloves. Mm-hmm. I took off my gloves and they all panicked as if I'd taken the skin off of my hands. Oh. And they're like, oh, he's removing the skin from his hands. One of those things like, you know, take a picture and it captures mm-hmm. their soul. One of these, you know, except the, the advanced technology I had was gloves. <laughs> and I woke up and I'm like, wow, gloves is advanced technology. People who would like freak out when you're taking off, you know, your clothing, it's like taking off your skin. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. And it took like 30 seconds until I'm like, wait. <laughs> The advanced technology that the future people are getting wowed by is the fact that I had gloves on. And we almost got a spit take out of me. (laughs) 
<laughs> because you said that right after I had taken a sip of my drink. It, um, it, it, it plays into these, these like stupid things like where we believe that old sailors wouldn't think the earth was round, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, they lived 2,000 years ago. They must be stupid, right? Yeah, when they, they can see the idiots. curvature of the earth yeah. and sail it every day. It plays into this like, well, if they had had a post-apocalypse, they obviously wouldn't know what clothes are anymore. Um, I completely forgot. <laughs> they still have other clothing technology, but gloves, gloves. are I, beyond them. They did have other clothing technology, but yeah. gloves, it's like, they, that, that means taking off your skin. That's some nonsense. Mm-hmm. That's a delight. Can I tell you about my dream? Sure. This is not a story idea, mm-hmm. but it was a dream about a story. Okay. So I was with a friend of mine from India. Mm-hmm. I think this was my friend Udi. Hey, Udi, if you're watching. And he said, hey, do you want to see the most culturally insensitive thing ever made? And I'm like, sure. And so there was a comic book Mm -hmm. and a trading card game based on the comic book. All in my dream. This doesn't exist in real life. This is your dream. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. this doesn't Uh exist in real life as far as I'm aware. A comic book and a card game based on it that was about the war of independence from India breaking away from United Kingdom. Yeah. In which an army showed up to save India dressed in Thai costumes, traditional Thai costumes, because the artists could not be bothered finding traditional Indian costumes. And their leader was a blonde Mary Poppins who taught them what to do and how to do it in order to win their freedom. Wow. Okay. I love that getting Indian garb is too much work. But Thai... They they totally would get period authentic Mm -hmm. Thai clothing. Yeah, and the big, like, you Mm -hmm. know, peaked hats and stuff, which are not easy to draw. Yeah, yeah, but they're much easier than a turban, right? I guess. (laughs) So I told this story to my friend Udi, Mm -hmm. and he said, yeah, that's super culturally insensitive, but I would absolutely play that card game. So. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Mary Poppins, huh? Yeah. Mary Poppins leads the war of... <laughs> mm-hmm. Blonde Mary Poppins, so basically oh, just Mary Julie Poppins. Andrews. Yes. Yeah, and it was a comic book slash card game, so it's not like she was singing. Yeah. She was just there very mm-hmm. helpfully telling people how to fight and win their war. Now, that's really interesting because there's a narrative aspect to your dream there, right? I almost always dream in narrative. Meaning there's a part of me that is separate from the dream, that is acknowledging that the dream is playing out and is anticipating story beats, which usually are kind of weird and fantastical because it's a dream. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, it feels like anticipating a story beat in a regular film and things like that. And I have not been scared by a dream since I was very young, Mm. ever since I became a writer, because... It's me in the dream, but it's me acting in a story, understanding it's a story, and anticipating the story beats, and indeed changing the story beats and doing revisions if it doesn't play out well. That is fascinating. That doesn't happen to you? No, I can't affect the dream usually. You know, I am often present in it, able to do things, Mm -hmm. but if there's something going away I don't like it to... There's really nothing I can do about it. When I have a nightmare of some kind, that's usually what's going on is awful thing has happened and I can't change it. Yeah, I mean, awful things will happen and I'll be like, hmm, does that work? 
for the narrative, right? <laughs> Does this make sense? Does this make sense? If I were able to mm-hmm. vet and edit my dreams, I mean, none yeah. of them make sense. Right. They don't make sense. Yeah. But at the same time, it's, I don't know, like, I thought this might be an author thing. Maybe it's just a me thing. I have a lot of control over my dreams. If something happens that I can't change, because occasionally mm-hmm. I know I should be able to fly, and I'm like, I can't get it working. It is more me frustrated because I know what's supposed to happen here. And I'm like, oh, "Oh, it's not working. Something's wrong with the story Hmm. rather than, yeah. Okay. You're probably in a very rare percentage of lucid dreamers Mm. where about half of the population experience a lucid dream in their lifetime and 1% Mm -hmm. do it several times a week. So you're in a very rare category for lucid dreamers. So I've heard about lucid dreams. I'm not 100% sure. Maybe I just don't understand lucid dreams. I'm not 100% sure that what I'm having is lucid dreams because I, I am... Not always aware I'm dreaming. I am always aware that it's fake, right? But it's mm. like I'm dreaming that I am acting in a story. Okay. And it's not like I know this is a dream. It is but you I know, know that it's, a story. it's a story and I am influencing the story. And I'm often replaying it. Like something will happen and I'll be like, no, 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 no back up. And we'll do it over again. The right way. Okay, so here's my question, Mm because first of all, that's fascinating. That never happens to me. Mm -hmm. Like, while you're in the dream, is it just dream logic that there's not a part of your brain that wonders, I'm in a story, how Mm -hmm. am I in a story? Or is that how you do your outlining and your story ideation in the first place? Right, it works more like I'm doing my outlining and story ideation in the first place. I feel it feels very similar to writing a story. Hmm. Very similar to building it and things like that. And oftentimes it's like, I anticipate that he's going to turn into a frog here because that's the part that happens in the story next. Even though that's not a real part of narrative structure, yeah, I'm taking the parts of me that anticipates a narrative structure change and be like, all right, mm-hmm. yeah, but there needs to be foreshadowing. So I will go back and start the dream from the beginning, but this time there is foreshadowing he's eating flies or something like that. And then he turns and into a frog and I'm like, all right, and now this works. And in now the, this will work. This okay. will work. And as I'm waking up, I am very frequently workshopping the story. The story. And as I become awake, I become aware it was a dream, and I am workshopping the story a lot more mm-hmm. over and over as I wake up. Okay, so that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. The thing about dreams, at least in my experience, is that they make perfect sense while you're in them. Yeah. And then you wake up and you look back and you're like, no, actually, that right. doesn't hold together at yes. all. Do you experience yes, that? I do. Where the structure you put together that felt very normal to you. Yeah. In the light of day is like, oh, no, these points don't actually connect at all. Exactly. That happens all the time. Hmm. In fact, very frequently. So you go back and you add the foreshadowing of like, Mm -hmm. he's wearing a purple hat. Yes. Then everyone will know that he's a frog. Exactly. It's stuff like that happens. That's wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. That's a a really good way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Once in a while, as I'm coming more awake, the aware part of my brain fixes all those things. So that the story I remember best as I wake up has like, oh, no, he should have been eating flies. That's what makes sense. But in the moment, that's not what's happening. Now, that's cool. Now, you Mm -hmm. have told me that your wife dreams very differently from you. Yes. Does that mean that she's just not workshopping stories? Yeah, she's... Or that there's no narrative at all? There's no narrative at all, and she is completely out of control. Like, Mm -hmm. and this kind of is one thing that I, like, I've been doing this for decades, right? Yeah. Even when I met Emily, I've been doing it for 10 years more. And so I just kind of assumed that as someone got older, 
they got more power over the dreams. Like if something scary happens in my dream, I will either revise it because I don't write horror. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, the protagonist needs a gun here. Yeah. So that the story is the type of story I want to write. And the protagonist has a gun, right? And shoots the monster. Like mm-hmm. that sort of thing happens all the time in my dreams. It turns into a heroic fantasy from, yeah. you know, from a dark fantasy. It just genre bends all the time. That's and I am pushing awesome. it toward the type of stories that I like. And she wakes up frightened. I'm like, give yourself a gun. It helps a ton. Do you remember the advice that Alan gave us in college? Someone on Leading Edge was talking about a horrible nightmare they had. Mm-hmm. And Alan, our mutual friend, yep. he said, oh, best way to not have nightmares is as you are falling asleep, repeat the mantra to yourself, automatic shotgun, automatic <laughs> shotgun, automatic <laughs> shotgun. And I've given that advice to my children. Has it worked? I don't know. Mm. <laughs> How do you dream? How do I dream? I'm never aware that it's fake. Mm. It is always something that is happening to me with that same kind of dream logic where you just think, oh, yes, of course, this is a natural thing. Mm -hmm. And it will flow back and forth between like the Mary Poppins saving India Mm -hmm. dream, for example. I was reading the comic book and then my brain inserted a friend showing me the comic book. Right. And so it's like Mm -hmm. the frame around the story changed. At first, it was experiencing a story through images, which was weird. That doesn't Mm -hmm. usually happen. And then I think my brain explained that away by saying, oh, this is a comic book that your friend gave you. Right. That way, you're not racially insensitive. And it's not me creating this. It's people who made that whoever made that stupid comic book and Mm -hmm. card game. It wasn't me. It was Tuscaloosa the Walrusian. (laughs) The Walrusian. That jerk. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so... That's a deep cut back to a previous episode. <laughs> back to a 20 years old. But yes, like the... Sometimes my dreams will be about me. Sometimes mm-hmm. I will be somebody else. They will change genre. They will change format all the time. I don't really have any control over them, which doesn't matter unless I'm trying to do something that the dream won't let mm. me do, right? Can you usually fly in dreams or not? Is that like a staple? Um, I can't fly, Mm -hmm. but I do a thing that happens in dreams all the time where Mm. I am falling at such an angle that I don't hit the ground. Mm. So like I can hover downhill and steer myself and do that. That's a very frequent common thing. Yeah, I've had that one. It's more along the lines of though it's steps with me. I can Mm -hmm. zip down steps, Steps, but I choose it. I'm like, oh. I can zip down these steps. Mm-hmm. But it's weird. I don't know. You know, I've had a bunch of the dreams that I've looked up that are very common, and we can talk about some of those. But I don't know if this one is or not. Like, I know how to fly in dreams. Okay. I know what muscles that I exercise. I mm. know what it feels like. And in any given dream, if I want to, I just can. It requires exercising certain it's muscles. Not it even takes fair. effort. And I remember it, like right now I can, Mm -hmm. like, it comes from the back of my brain. I have to concentrate and I lift myself and I can do it basically in any dream that I want to. And when I get into dreams, I'm like, oh yeah, I can fly now again. I don't know I'm in a dream, but I'm like, oh, this is the part of my life where I can fly. And then I can. And then when I wake up, I'm like, oh, I can't fly anymore. That's right. That's only in dreams. But in the dreams, it's like this is the half of my life where I can fly. It's always disappointing Mm. when I am zooming around, Mm -hmm. you know, and just above the ground, Mm. flying along, hovering, 
And then I wake up and I'm like, oh, that's right. I can't do that in real life. Mm. And you'd think that at some point that would clue me in that when I'm doing that, I mm-hmm. must know, therefore, that this is a dream. Yeah. But it never is. It is always a sense of familiarity like, oh, yeah, I've always known how to do this. Yeah, I get that one. Mm-hmm. That happens a lot. So should we go over some of those dreams that like... Common dreams that people have. I haven't had this one in a while now. It's starting to get further, but my most common dream for a while. Do you want to guess what it was? Before we get Mm -hmm. into dreams, let me ask, do you want to hear the famous friend's story now, or should we do that at the end? Oh, we need to do the famous friend's story. We did promise one. We promised it. Yeah, let's go into that. Okay, this one is- You'll find a way to segue it back. This is a good one Uh because it's going to sound like I'm making this up. It's going to sound like a dream. Who do you know this time? Let me see if I can guess because you're famous. I would love to hear your guess. Both of the people that you were have mentioned before were an iconic 80s sci-fi properties, right? Christopher Lloyd and Q, John Delancey. This story does involve an yes. iconic 80s sci-fi actor, yes, okay. but as a side character. Okay, as a side character. I am going to guess that your famous friend is Arnold Schwarzenegger. No. Ah. Alas. Okay. Okay, so this story starts in Pensacon in okay. 2016. Pensacon is the sci-fi pop culture con in mm. Pensacola, Florida. Okay. It is my favorite convention in the world, bar none, including the one that we run. Okay. I love it. It's a really good con. So we were there. I was actually sharing a booth with Claudia Christian, okay. who plays Ivanova on Babylon 5. Okay. Because she had like a memoir out at the time, and so we were there selling books together. Mm-hmm. But that's not what the story's about. When we were ready to go home, mm. Pensacola is a small, relatively small place, very small airport. There's only one plane that flies out of it. And so whenever you fly home from Pensacon, you're on the plane with other celebrities. And so on our plane with us, here's the 80s sci-fi guy, Bruce Boxleitner who was the captain in Babylon 5. He was the guy in Tron. He was Tron in Tron. Tron. And I told my wife about this story, and she's like, the guy from Scarecrow and Mrs. King. like, yes, but Mm -hmm. Babylon 5 and Tron. Anyway, so he was on the plane. Mm -hmm. I was sitting next to Glenn Morshower. You probably don't know the name, but I guarantee you've seen him in stuff. If you've ever Mm -hmm. watched a TV show or a movie that has like a gruff military guy, it's that's him. Glenn Morshauer. Okay. He was General Lane in Supergirl. Mm-hmm. He was General Jacobs in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was General Morshauer, actually, in Transformers. They just named him after himself because he's that guy right. all the time. Anyway, so he was. He and I are sitting next to each other, and we're flying along. This is American Airlines, so we got to stop in Dallas. I love Dallas. Let's just say this directly to the camera. I love Dallas. The Dallas airport is the worst place in the entire world. I hate it. Dulles. Dulles? Dulles. Dulles is really bad. Which one's Dulles? Dulles is in uh, D.C. That's D.C.? I've only flown in and out of D.C. one time and that was fine. You can't get between terminals except getting on people movers, big cars oh to get between terminals they're slow that's you have to wait for them to be in paris yeah and it's like you want to get between terminals all right schedule 45 minutes it's a walk over there but they won't let you yeah they won't let you go so we uh we're flying pensacola to Mm -hmm. dallas and there's a huge storm apparently over the midwest and Mm -hmm. the south 
and they're like, there's no way we can land in Dallas, Mm -hmm. so we're going to have to go somewhere else and refuel and then go to Dallas. And they sent us to Phoenix, which is on the other side of Dallas, which didn't make a lot of sense to us, but okay, we're fine. And so Glenn and I were talking more and more about, well, what's going to happen? We landed in Phoenix, and they said, anybody who wants to can get off here. We can't give you your luggage, but you can if you want. And everyone's like, well, no. And so then we finally got to Dallas, like three or four hours late. Everything is closed. There's no mm-hmm. way to reschedule. Yeah. Their inner system had basically just said, you've got a connecting flight in the morning. Thanks You're a lot. Done. But that was yeah. like eight, mm-hmm. 10 hours away. And it was one or two in the morning and there was nothing to do. And so Glenn was like, well, you know what? I don't have a connecting flight. I live here. I want to stay at my house. <laughs> and so we grabbed... Max Hernandez, mm-hmm. who plays Jasper Sitwell in the Marvel movies. Okay. He's one of these yeah. politician Weasley Hydra uh-huh. guys. Spoiler warning. And <laughs> Eugene Simon, who was Lancel Lannister. And I know you're not familiar with those, but he's one of the Lannister cousins that like okay. is sleeping with Cersei. Okay. And so Glenn Morshower takes Jasper Sitwell and Lancel Lannister and I to a diner at two in the morning in Dallas tells us stories for like an hour while we eat pancakes. Then he takes us to the grassy knoll Mm. and the site of the JFK assassination, Mm -hmm. tells us all of the conspiracy theories about it. I've got a picture. two in the morning. This was now three in the morning. Okay. I've got a picture of Lancel Lannister standing by the X where the assassination actually took place, which I can send to Adam if you want to put it online or something. And then we went to Glenn Morshower's house, and I slept in his guest room. And then in the morning, Max Hernandez woke me up, and we went back to the airport and flew home. So you know, this is this is awesome, <laughs> but it's also one of those not as surprising stories, right? Like when I heard about how you knew John Delancey, there's like this tortuitous route. Mm-hmm. Is that even a word? Torturous. Torturous. Torturous route? and Sir- circuitous. Circuitous Port is the word that I wanted. Tortuitous. Yes. Tortuitous. It's got a turtle in it. It's it's a route <laughs> carved by a turtle yes. as it walks back and forth. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, that's what they needed in the first Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. movie. How do we get to Tortuga by a tortuitous route? Yeah, it was a. Yes, I'm not going to even try the word again because I'm <laughs> laughing too much. But circuitous route mm-hmm. by which friendship occurred. This sort of thing, you're at cons. Yeah. You're at cons with the same people sometimes over and over again. And even if you're not, you're all like there on the same side of the fence, so to speak. And so odd things happen. Like I was on a bus once and this is not, you know, whatever, super celebrity, but Will Wheaton's there, right? Mm-hmm. Will's a nice guy. A lot of people really like him in the community for some of the the writing he does yeah. and his board game show and things like that. And one of the other people, some other celebrity, wanted to had like a Star Trek app on their phone and they wanted to like use the Star Trek app to surprise Will Wheaton or something. Like, you know, it was like they you're able to push a button and like the app says, you know, we've arrived at our destination in Major Roddenberry's voice or something like that. And we got to the thing, he hit the button and it didn't work. And Will Wheaton looks at him, he's like, Oh, that app. You haven't enabled the thing. Here, give it. You've got Wesley Crusher here. And he fixed <laughs> the Star Trek app. 
Mm -hmm. on the other person's phone and hit the button so that Major Roddenberry's voice came out and handed it back, right? And it was just hilarious because it's Wesley Crutcher fixing the Enterprise. Yeah, Yeah, he played it up and things like that. But these things just happen because you're on buses together, right? Mm -hmm. And you're just like... Going to cons together and especially traveling together when there Mm -hmm. are disasters, these things crop up and are weird. We live a very weird life. I think. Yeah, yes. We do live an odd life in many ways. Mm-hmm. Not as odd as our dreams. Ha ha! <laughs> Perfect, flawless segue. <laughs> that was not a tortuitous route back. <laughs> no, it was at not. All. Oh, it was. The tortuitous is straight. It's just carved by a turtle. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah, it yeah. just takes time. It, it takes, takes effort. A long time. It takes a long time. That, that turtle's very methodical. Turtle is not just uh, screwing around. <laughs> We're going to find out that, like, tortuitous is a word that means something really embarrassing. completely different. And, (laughs) I mean, I know what the name of this episode is going to be, the tortuitous episode. The tortuitous route. Babyface Dan Wells and the tortuitous route (laughs) to Tortuga. Um, Okay, so we were going to talk about common dreams. Yes, common dreams. So, I mean, the common, I think, the archetypal have you had this dream is Mm -hmm. showing up at school naked right yeah or there's a test and you haven't studied for it or some combination of so both. it's the second one for me that i constantly have though mm-hmm. it's a variation on this it's also a very common one it is the you're at school and you realize you're in college it's always in college for me that there is a class that you have that mm-hmm. has been going all semester and you've never and you've been never gone yeah and then you realize this is the last few weeks of class what do I do? And always for me, it is, this is the class that determines whether I graduate or not. Like once I'm done with this class, I can be done with school forever. Mm-hmm. But there's always this sense of, I don't go to that class because it's hard. And I always fail this class. And now I haven't been going forever. If I can just get a passing grade, I can be done with school forever. But I suddenly realize I haven't been yeah. ever. And just mm-hmm. for no, yeah. yeah. Have you had... The author version of that, uh, I was talking to, to Claudia Gray, she's yeah. another author just this weekend, and she and I have both had this version where mm. you show up in an event and they have not ordered any of your books. No, I had that in person, for real. <laughs> I haven't had that you dream. Had the dream. That happened to me. That happened to you? Which event? So it was early in my career. It was a book signing. So I used to go my first couple years as an author. I went on joint book tours with David Farland, mm-hmm. the late, great David Farland, and occasionally Lee Modisett. Yeah. And we would show up at these, and we would usually be scheduling, you know, a stop. We were driving. It's like, mm-hmm. we stop in this city, and we'll do a signing here, and then this city signing here, and things like that. And we showed up at one, and I want to say it was in Idaho. It was a mall store back when they had mall bookstores, a lot more the littler ones. So there was the last remnants of Walden Books or B. Dalton or things like this. And we showed up at one of them, and they did not know we were coming. (laughs) There was – they're like, what? And then they found it on their register that it was coming, and they had no books. They had one copy of Dave's book and no copies of my books. On the shelves. That's awesome. And there was a book signing scheduled for us. And it was early in my career, so we didn't have tons of people showing Mm -hmm. up. We did a lot of hand selling at those signings, but it was like, you've got a book to sell, Dave. 
okay, five book. minutes later. Give it the best possible pitch. Yeah. That happened to me in mm-hmm. Sacramento. Okay. Again, very early career, Mr. Mm-hmm. Monster, which was my second book. Mm-hmm. I was doing one of these driving tours like you're talking about. And yeah, Barnes & Noble in Sacramento completely forgot that I was coming. Didn't order any books. Didn't and- order any books. It was the second book, so they had some copies of Serial mm-hmm. Killer anyway. But It's partially... Eh. An issue, though, because I was far enough in my career that people were occasionally showing up to meet me, you know, like five or six Mm -hmm. during a two-hour signing. So we couldn't leave, right? We couldn't just be like, well, you don't have our books. We can't sell anything. Yeah. We had to stay there and felt like chumps just sitting there (laughs) at a book signing with no books waiting in case a fan showed up because we didn't want to be gone if Mm -hmm. that, you know. You didn't want you to be the jerk. Yes. Now, but Mm -hmm. did you do the line? Because I use this line all the time. Mm. If somebody comes to my booth or whatever and they want a book that I don't have, I will always say, oh, I'm sorry, we sold out of that. I don't remember if I was smart enough to come up with that or not. Dave could because he technically did. He had one, it sold. He had one and it sold out. Mm -hmm. Now, on that same book tour for Mm -hmm. Mr. Monster, I have to point out, the exact opposite thing happened to me. I was down in San Diego mm-hmm. to sign at Mysterious Galaxy. And I thought, you know, and it was actually you who taught me to do this, mm-hmm. which I know you don't do this anymore because you like have tickets and, and things. Mm-hmm. But in the early days, I would just go and sign shelf stock at, at any bookstores that I passed. Yeah. And so I hunted around on my little GPS app and mm-hmm. found in uh, Mission Valley there was a Borders bookstore. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'll go hit that on my way to Mysterious Galaxy. This will be great. And I had been kind of live tweeting that I was doing this. And so I show up at the Borders and I walk in and I say, hey, I'm an author. My name is Dan Wells. I was just wondering if you'd have any shelf stock that you'd like me to sign. And the guy says, oh, good. We've been waiting for you. <laughs> and I thought, what on earth? And it turns out that the woman who stocked their horror section, Uh because Borders had a horror section, Mm -hmm. read Serial Killer, fell in love with it, and had like 30 books piled up of Serial Killer and of Mr. Monster for me to sign on the assumption that I was going to pass through when I was in town. That's awesome. And she was just hand-selling left and right. It was the best. That's an amazing bookseller. Yeah. Booksellers are my favorite people. Man, they need to get paid more money. Because it's hard to keep booksellers of that caliber. Mm-hmm. I did never have that experience, but they started to expect me after I'd come through a few times, right? Mm-hmm. They'd be like, oh, we knew you have a signing here. We knew you'd stop by. It wasn't that, but I'd been to that store multiple times. Yeah. Or they'd know in the airport stores that I was flying through and I always stopped by. And so they'd be like, expect Mr. Sanderson today. That was a very fun part of my career that ended when the pandemic hit. Yeah. Airport bookstores have been dying off anyway. Mm. These days, I feel very bad when I visit a bookstore who is not expecting me. I still do it on occasion. Mostly, it's in Europe. Like in America, for whatever reason, they're a little more used to authors stopping by Mm -hmm. and they're a little bit more used to what might happen. Anytime I stop at a store in Europe, like I'll tweet, hey, the books are here. And then they will get... 80 phone calls of people jumping on to try to buy those books because 
getting a signed copy of one of my books in Europe is very difficult, mm -hmm. and if it can ship into the EU and things like that. So I learned if I went to a FNAC or something in Paris and I said, hey, we've got signed copies of my books here in the English section, I would first have to go warn the people and be like, are you okay if I tweet this? And like, oh yeah, we want to sell the books. I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> You're going to be fielding phone calls mm -hmm. for the next week yeah. about these not already having been sold. And I'm like, oh... Half the time, like, who does this guy think he is? The other half the time, they get it. Mm -hmm. And then they get to field yeah. phone calls for a week. Now, did you ever yeah. do that in Germany? Because my experience in Germany specifically, because mm -hmm. of the culture they have around bookstores, they would actually say no. They would never let me sign shelf stock. If I get some no's in a place, I stop asking. And then I just do it anyway. Like sneak in and sign them when no yeah. one's looking? Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, well, here's my next question then. Mm -hmm. Obviously, now when you are known and recognized, this is not an yeah. issue. But early on, when you were nobody and you would mm -hmm. show up and ask to sign stock, did they ever actually ask for ID? They did. Really? Two or three times. I've never had that. Yep. Very well, the one I have had that once because mm -hmm. I introduced myself as Jody Picoult. <laughs> but yeah, believe it or not, they didn't believe me on that one. Mm. I rarely would introduce myself at most bookstores unless it was a large chain bookstore. Like if I go to one in an airport, I still don't even say anything. I go, I sign the books and I tweet that they're there because to- in an airport bookstore, how does the, it's so small. How do they not see they you defacing the books? They're working at an airport <laughs> bookstore. Granted, I know some very good booksellers who work at airport bookstores, but the mm -hmm. people who are working at these bookstores, like if I go to Barbara's Books in Chicago Airport, mm -hmm. I will absolutely say, hi, I'm Brandon Sanders. It's a real bookstore, yeah. right? Yeah. If I go to the Hudson News that has copies of my books and three other books in the store, uh -huh. right? I've learned don't ask the person the thing because they actually will work for the Hudson Group, which is a larger group that owns a bunch of things. They got assigned to the store that has books that day on accident. They could mm -hmm. be at selling this. They could be selling that. If you go ask them, hey, can I sign these books? They're like, I need to call a manager. And you're like, I need to catch a plane. Yeah. So you just sign the books. But once in a while... I go to a Barnes & Noble or something and say, I'm Brandon Sanderson, I want to sign these books. They do ask for ID and occasionally, fortunately, my picture's in the back of my books. <laughs> so I open them up. Yep, that is the easy way to do this. Uh, cool. So remember when we said we were going to talk about common dreams? That was only a dream. It didn't happen. How's that, Ben? Ben? <laughs>